Well, hi everyone. Uh, good to see you on this lovely rainy day. <laughs> I was just thinking it's um, in about six weeks-ish, I guess, from now. It'll be dark by the time we meet. Feels like the summer has gone too quickly. I'm going to pray briefly and then we'll get into, into Genesis chapter 1. Our, uh, our holy and most gracious God and Father, this is your day. The seventh day of the week. This is the day you set apart and made holy. The day for rest, for your saints to gather to worship. The day to remember the resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the day to look forward to the endless Sabbath to come. We thank you for your grace, that in Christ, in Christ your favor reigns, even to us who don't deserve it and never could. Be gracious to us now, open the eyes of our hearts to see you in your word that we would be transformed from the inside out by a true vision of you. Amen. Amen. Well, young Joe, nine years old, uh, gets home from school one afternoon and as mum's helping him change out of his uniform and pack his things away and so on, he says, Mum, where do babies come from? Well, mum knew this day this conversation would come, but she thought it might still be a few years away, but here it is. Um, stalling for time, she says, that's a big question for such a little boy. Why do you want to know? Well, some of the boys were talking about it at break time today. Oh no, she thinks. Uh, heaven only knows what he might have heard. I'd better tell him how it all works to guard against where that kind of playground conversation might go. So Mum and Joe sit on his bed and they have the talk. A man and a woman fall in love, she starts. And they get married, and then and she tells little Joe how it all works. Joe listens, amazed at what he's hearing, speechless, still as a statue, staring wide-eyed at Mum. After a few minutes, Mum reaches the end of the explanation, relieved it's over, hoping she did, she did a good job. Does that make sense, Joe? You can ask me any questions if you want to. Joe is visibly processing all he's heard. It takes a few seconds that he's ready to speak, but he does have a question. Are you very sure about that, Mum? Johnny says he comes from Solihull. <laughs> but uh, in a deeper sense, we all do want to know where we come from. Why we're here, where we're going, what's it all about. We have big questions, don't we? They're probably not often at the forefront of our minds, but they're there. Deep down in our hearts, those questions, questions of origin, questions of destiny, of meaning, of purpose, of truth, those questions are there, and the answers matter, they really do. All our lives are shaped by what we believe to be true answers to those questions. And in our society, the main answer, the big picture answer to those questions is, really, you're nothing special. You came from nowhere, really. And you're going nowhere, really. You have no ultimate purpose, not in an objective sense. You're just a product of a random evolutionary process. Richard Dawkins, famous, famous atheist, says, In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. There is, at bottom, 
No design, no purpose, no evil, no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Now, I, I don't know every one of you here today. I, I don't know whether you've ever really thought carefully about the plausibility of someone like Dawkins's claims. But I do know that in the heart of every one of you, those questions do need to be answered. Where do I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's it all about? And I know that much as the Dawkins kind of answers to those questions have been pressed upon you, much as you've been told that you're just lucky mud, you've been told there's no rhyme or reason, there's no design, no purpose, etc., something in your heart won't accept those answers. Something in your heart tells you it's not true. There is meaning to my life. I do come from somewhere. I do belong somewhere. I am going somewhere. There is a purpose to it. Something in your heart tells you Dawkins is very, very wrong. Well, three and a half thousand years ago, a man called Moses, one of the greatest men who ever lived, answered all those questions quite differently. What had happened was that the ancient nation of Israel had become slaves in Egypt. For 400 years, they suffered bitterly. Generation after generation after generation died in slavery, far from home. And with each passing generation, faded the memory of their forefathers, of their God, of who they were, of home. But when the time had come, God, their God, the God of their forefathers, the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, raised up Moses to deliver them from slavery, from the hand of a cruel and violent Pharaoh. And he did. And through Moses, God rescued Israel, and two and a half million Israelites began the journey home. But for 400 years, they had been told all sorts of other answers to those questions. The religions of ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia all had their answers to those questions. Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? What's it all about? And generation after generation, for 400 years, had died in slavery. And the memories, the truths, the testimonies, the history that gave answers to all those big questions had faded. And on top of that, 400 years of slavery had beaten into them the belief that they were nothing more than dirt. Well, they were free of Pharaoh at last, but not free of the lies, not free yet of the belief that they were nothing more than dirt. Even so, something deep in their hearts told them there must be more, just as something in your heart tells you that you are not just lucky mud. There is more. There is truth. There is meaning. There is purpose and destiny. There is a place you belong, a place where all the big questions have their answers, a place called home. So as they walked in the desert heat, Moses taught them. And as they warmed themselves by the fire at night, Moses taught them. And to a generation that had only ever known slavery in Egypt, he taught, our story doesn't begin in Egypt. And friends, your story doesn't begin with A man loved a woman and they fell in love and got married. It doesn't begin with 
a boy amoeba met a girl amoeba and asked her to the movies and they fell in love. It doesn't even begin in Solihull. So where does your story begin? Well, um, you're going to excuse me for 10 seconds and then we will join the ancient Israelites on their journey through the desert by the fire under the stars as Moses tells the story again. Hello, my children. I know you have forgotten where we come from. I know you have forgotten who you are and where we belong. But listen now to an old man. Long ago, God created the world. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, and all the animals. Out of nothing, he made them all. Not in a single moment, but over time beyond counting. But God's world wasn't ready yet. He hadn't yet created our first father and mother, Adam and Heva, because the land where he planned to put them wasn't ready yet. It was covered by a deep ocean and a thick mist that the sun's light couldn't penetrate. But God's spirit was already there, waiting for the moment he would begin preparing a home for them. And then, after long, long years, the moment came. Night hung over the deep, and God spoke, calling on the sun to rise and break through the mist, and for the first time the land felt the warmth of the sun. The land was now on its way to becoming a very good place for the man and his wife to live. God named the sunlight day and the darkness night. A very special work had begun. And as the sun rose the next morning, God spoke again, commanding the mist to lift from the waters and gather in clouds up above. And he called that place where the clouds gather the skies. And as the sun rose again the next morning, God spoke again, commanding the waters that covered the land to gather into lakes and rivers and streams so that there would be dry land for the man and his wife and plenty of water for the beautiful garden that he was preparing for them. So the waters moved to the places he assigned them, and he named the dry places land, and knew that the land would be a good place for Adam and Heva to live. Later that day he spoke again, commanding the land to bring forth fruit trees of every kind, and it was good, and that was the end of the third day. And as the sun rose on the fourth morning, God spoke a decree that the heavenly bodies, the sun, the stars, the moon, were to serve the man and the woman that he was soon to create. They were to provide strong, warm light during the day and cool, calm light during the night. And they were to remind mankind of God's power and kindness. They were to mark the days and seasons so that God's people would know when to work and when to rest and when to sow, and when to reap, and when to gather for worship. And as the sun rose on the fifth morning, God spoke again. He commanded fish to play in the waters, and birds to dance in the skies. And he blessed them all, and told them to multiply. And they did. And as the sun rose on the morning of the sixth day, God spoke once more. He commanded the land to bring forth all kinds of animals, big and small, wild and tame. 
God made these animals for the land and saw that they would be good for man. And now their home was ready. God had prepared the land for man. And then, my dear children, then he spoke again. Let us make man. Let us make man, male and female, in our image. Let us make them both to know and to love God and to delight in all I have created and in the land that I have especially prepared just for them. And so he created them, man and woman. He created them both to be partners in loving him and taking care of his world. And he spoke again, this time pronouncing a blessing upon them, that they would have children and grandchildren and fill the land with families. And then he spoke for the tenth and last time, telling Adam and Heva that he had made the fruit trees for them to enjoy. And at the end of the sixth day, God looked at all he had made, the vast darkness out there beyond the stars, the whole earth, the land which he had so lovingly prepared for our great father and mother, and he was pleased because it was all very good. And when the sun rose on the seventh morning, God made this day and every seventh day after it forever a holy day. And he invited the man and his wife to rest with him and enjoy being with him and with one another in this beautiful land, in the home he had prepared for them. And that, my dear children, is where our story, where your story begins. There is much more to tell, but we have many more nights here in the desert and time for me to tell you. But for tonight, hear this. You are not what the Egyptians say you are. You are not nothing. You are not dirt. You are not worthless slaves. You are children of Adam and Heva, created by the one true and living God himself. The God who created everything out of nothing. God who in six days prepared a home for us and then, oh wonder of wonders, on the seventh day invited us to rest and enjoy it with him. He did not make us to be slaves. He didn't say, work for six days first. And then if you prove yourselves worthy, you may rest from your labors. No, he did the labor. Before he even created man and woman on the sixth day, he had already done it all. So that the seventh day was their first day. And before they had done anything to earn it or to prove themselves, he, God, invited them to rest and enjoy it all with him. You are not slaves. You are not dirt. You are the precious people of God, the almighty and most gracious creator. And he is bringing you back to the land he created for you. The same land he later promised to our great forefather Abraham. And as you go to sleep tonight, my dear children, let this truth be your comfort. That God who made every one of those stars, your God, is taking you home. Having a beard is less fun than I thought it might be. 
Right, well, friends, the point is we can get so caught up in debating the details of what happened, in what sequence, and so on. And those details are important. They do matter. Perhaps sometime we'll come back to study those details in detail. But you all know the saying that sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. And I'm concerned that, especially in the first few chapters of Genesis, Christians so often focus so much on the the patch of lichen on the third branch from the bottom, on the east-facing tree in the twelfth row from the front, as you don't even recognize you're looking at a tree, let alone a forest. Now this account, told this story told by Moses, now hear what I'm saying, this is... Hesitate to say this. This isn't about creation. This is about God. And more specifically, it's about God and his relationship to his people. His commitment to be kind and gracious to them, to save them, and to see them home. It's about God who, even in creation, showed special love to his people by preparing a land for them to live in. The same land he later promised to Abraham. The same land as it will be in the new creation. Promised to all Abraham's children in faith. Now friends, what does this mean for you and me? Well, there are three big things that we need to hear. First, you were created by God. Where do babies come from? Asked young Job. You created my inmost being, said the psalmist. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are not lucky mud. You are not an accident. You are not unwanted. God created you. God created your inmost being. He made you just the way you are. He made you just the way He wants you. With all your gifts and your quirks, He made you. He made your nose that way. He gave you those eyes. He made your hands strong to serve and protect, gentle to care and to comfort. He made Keith so tall and me so a little less tall. He knows your days. He ordained them. If your parents planned for you, He ordained your days. If you were a happy surprise, He ordained your days. Some of you have had your souls broken by being told that you were not wanted. He ordained your days. God created you, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Second big thing we need to hear here, you were created for God. Verse 27, Moses says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. Now books upon books upon books and endless PhDs have been written about 
What exactly does the image of God mean? And this is another forest and trees kind of thing. The detail is good and helpful, but let's not miss the big thing here. The big thing is you were created for a relationship with Him. Whatever the details are, the point is God made you to know Him. Oak trees don't have a relationship with God. They cannot. He didn't create them for that. Foxes and sparrows and horses and crayfish don't have a relationship with God, and they cannot. He didn't make them for that. They were not made in His image in such a way that they could know Him and in some way be like Him and enjoy Him and love Him and co-labor with Him as sons and daughters, co-laboring with the Father and caring for all that the Father loves. But you are made in His image. You are made to know God and to enjoy Him and to love Him. You are made to enjoy co-laboring with your Father in caring for all He loves. God created you for His glory. And John Piper rightly says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. You were created by God, for God. And third, God will see you home. God created everything in the time before time. And then when He was ready, in six days He lovingly prepared a land for the man and the woman to live in. A land suited to them, a land good for them, a home for them. And then when the land was ready, God created them. He created them in His image to in some way be like Him, to know Him, to enjoy Him, to love Him. And then He invited them into His rest with Him, the seventh day. Did you notice all the other days had an evening? There was morning, evening, the first day. There was morning, evening, the second day. Morning and evening, the third day. And so on. Except for the seventh day. Now, of course, the sun did actually set on that day. But Moses deliberately leaves it out of the story to make a point. By not bringing the seventh day into his telling of the story, his point is that the seventh day rest that we were invited into to share with God is an everlasting rest. It is eternal, never-ending peace with him in his presence. Now remember, Moses is telling the story to Israel, reminding them of who they are, as they are on the edge of the promised land. The land God promised to Abraham and his descendants. The promised land is the same land God prepared in the six days of Genesis 1. Moses is reassuring people who have forgotten, after 400 years of slavery, who they are, who their God is, how sure their destiny in him is. From before the creation of the world, God had a purpose to display his glory in creation and in salvation. And the seventh day was a picture of salvation, of unending, with no sunset, of unending relationship with Him, in peace with Him, unearned. Remember, it was Adam and Eve's first day. They could do nothing to earn it. It was a picture of salvation by grace. But Adam and Eve sinned and were banished from the garden. Peace with God was lost. But God made a promise to Abraham to restore peace, to bring his people back to the garden, back to the promised land. 
And that promise still stands. That we, sinners though we are, can return to the garden, to the promised land, as it will be in the new creation. God was seeing his people home to the land of promise. And God will see you home, Christian, to your eternal home with him in the new creation. But how can it be? We rightly ask. Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. Yes, but God made a promise to Abraham that all who believed, all who trusted in God alone for their salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins, would enter that promised land. They would be saved. God told Abraham that through his descendants, through his family, he would send the Savior. And he did. He sent his only son, Jesus, for our salvation. For the salvation of all who trust in him alone for the forgiveness of sin and for life everlasting. For peace with God and life in his glorious presence. For life in the promised land. How sure is your salvation, Christian? The God who promises to see you home to the promised land is the same God who created the heavens and the earth. The same God who knit you together in your mother's womb, who ordained your days, who made you to know Him, to love Him, to enjoy eternal satisfaction in Him. The same God who lovingly prepared a home for Adam and Eve has been lovingly shepherding his people home to the promised land ever since. The same God whose Son came from heaven to pay the price for our sins on the cross and then went ahead of us saying, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come back for you to bring you there so that you will be with me there forever. Do you hear the echoes of Eden in the promise of Jesus? God, our God, your God, dear Christian, the God of heaven and earth will see you home. Would you bow your hearts with me as I pray? Our gracious God and Father, God who from the time before time planned for our salvation, who ordained the days of everyone sitting here this afternoon, Great in power, great in mercy, great in glory. What a wonderful God. Father, what words could we speak to tell of how great you are, of how marvelous your grace, of how amazing your salvation, of how sure your promise. God, that before millennia before, millions, billions of years before any of us were anywhere close to where we are now. You prepared a home. You prepared a home for Adam and Eve. You prepared a home for your people Israel. You have prepared a home for us. And you are bringing us home. In and through your Son, your beloved Son, our most beloved Saviour, You are bringing us home. How sure is our salvation. As sure as the God who created the heavens and the earth. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.